following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So, today we are concluding our series called World Falling Apart. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. Maybe you are a person who has been acutely aware of the ways that the world seems to be coming apart at the seams. Maybe your personal life has been coming apart at the seams. The asterisk on this title is not that, you know, everything's going to be fine, just give it a minute. <laughs> not that the world's falling apart, but people of faith shouldn't worry because they're people of faith, but rather the asterisk is, but we're staying together. And what we've tried to do is talk about how to navigate suffering and tragedy on a global scale and on a personal scale together as part of a community of faith united around common uh, belief, common practice, common trust in God. And we've talked about all kinds of different ways. We kicked the series off with people sharing their personal stories, saying, hey, the struggle is real. We know because it's happening to us right now. We've talked about what it means to be uh, in solidarity, both with the, the believers in God throughout Scripture and also with those who are part of our local community in the present day. We've talked about what it means to think about how things will be in the end. We've talked about that difficult concept of rejoicing in our sufferings. By the way, if any of these things are interesting to you and you weren't here for those weeks, you can find all those on our podcast. We're concluding the series today with more personal sharing. We're going to hear from the artisan community again, but this time, rather than stories of personal suffering or tragedy, they're going to be stories of what gives people in the artisan community hope right now. And we did this at the 9 a.m. service and really had a, a very beautiful experience of hearing from one another and the stories of hope. Um, and I'll tell you how that will work. We do have at least one or two people who are prepared to share something. They have maybe, it maybe will be evident that they prepared to share something, and that's totally wonderful. But I don't want you to feel like you can't share if you didn't prepare something. So we'll probably start out asking for some of those shorter ones and have the prepared folks come uh, after a couple of those have happened. That worked out well in the first service, I thought. This could be anything. If you woke up this morning and your cat was uh, at, at your feet purring like I did, that might have given you a little bit of hope for the day. And that might seem like a small thing, but it's actually, in the grand scheme, um, part of the picture that, that matters. And we learned the names of three cats in, in one family this morning at 9 a.m., and that was really beautiful to hear. Uh, it might be something quite a lot more involved than that, and you might want to share just a short sentence, or you might want to share up to maybe about five minutes if you have a longer way of telling us uh, what's happening in your life that gives you hope, um, that would also be okay. Um, <clears throat> so I will ask you to use the microphone because it does help us hear you. And uh, unfortunately, the folks on Zoom will not hear you at all if you don't use the microphone. So um, just be, uh, if, you're, if you're a little microphone shy, uh, just know that all kinds of people are and it's okay and you'll, you'll get over it after just a few words probably. So who would like to be the brave one to start us off? We always have a few seconds of silence. It's okay. All right, I'm going to bring this microphone to Doug. Well, I wasn't going to, but I guess I will now. Um, so many of you know my dad passed away in 2020 of cancer. Um, it was a very, um, we knew it was coming, but still not easy um, to experience because of his age, how young he was. Um, and uh, my mom went through a pretty 
um, depressing, obviously, time after he passed, um, trying to deal with the loss, trying to deal with having to leave their home that they lived in for so many years and, and move down south with my brother and um, trying to figure out how to navigate life without him and, and um, what to do in those times that she she felt um, kind of that dark night of the soul, right? And uh, <clears throat> so it's been a tough couple of years, and um, but in, in the past year or so, um, she began to form a friendship with a, a, a guy named Bob down there in Tennessee, and this Saturday they are getting married. And um, I'll be flying out on Thursday to go see that. Um, but uh, in the topic of what gives you hope, um, seeing that turnaround in her life and having someone come in and, and kind of pick her up out of the ashes, and it, it, that whole concept of beauty from ashes really kind of gives hope that that can happen to to all of us in some sense. Thank you, Doug. I'll have you hold the microphone and just pass it to whomever is next. And uh, If you're comfortable sharing your name before you go, that would be helpful, too. My name is Scott. Um, what gives me hope is that people can grow and change. Um, I've changed a lot in 10 years. <laughs> My husband has changed a lot in 10 years, but I'm specifically... <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> Um, but I'm specifically thinking of my parents who, when I told them we were getting married, were not happy and said very hurtful things and um, have continued to push into their love for me. And I'm um, sorry. <laughs> We went on vacation with them for a week, which sounds crazy, but we never thought we would see this day. And um, it was full of joy. We slept in the same bed right next to their room. They took pictures of us, you know, bro-hugging it out. Um, but, like, those were huge steps for my parents. And... Um, I don't know. It, it just gives me hope that like there's still room to grow, and it gives me hope for when I see people that are stuck, that like we don't know what God's doing in them or what can prick their hearts, and so it gives me hope. How beautiful! Who? How many people needed to hear that this morning? Wow. Thank you. Who else would like to share? Um, Aiden, here's your car back. Uh, that gives me hope, just seeing that. Um, yesterday, I went to Silent Disco at Fringe, uh, and seeing people from all different races and gender orientation and sexual orientation and all that in the same space together, just enjoying music and dancing and only you can hear what you're listening to um, was such a beautiful thing uh, that gives me hope that um, even if we have differences, um, if they're little differences, um, we can still come together and find joy in the same space. Um, and also hearing little baby sneezes uh, gives me hope. So thanks for that. <laughs> 
Did you say at the end that baby sneezes also bring you joy? Yes, because oh. there was a baby sneeze <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Amen to that. Love it. Thanks, Kristen. Hi, my name is Aaron. I'm. Most of you guys don't know me because my wife and I and our family are new to artisan, but um, I had uh, approached Scott when he first pitched, you know, the the opportunity for people to come up and after I kind of shared a little snippet of kind of what I was hoping to share, he thought it best to share at the end. So um, I've, I'm, so I'm 39 and I became a Christian when I was 18. And so if I had to kind of describe the first half, so like the first 10 years or so, and the second 10 years, I would say like the first 10 years was just a veneer, uh, you know, in terms of I did the things that I thought I was supposed to say and do as a Christian. And oddly enough, I remember talking to my dad last night about this and how looking back at those years in my 20s, how insular and closed off I really was and how much of a conflict that was creating inside of me. And um, my 30s um, can be aptly described as basically like... Um, an existential crisis when we had our first daughter, uh, who's 10 now, and all of these dormant issues just kind of came to the forefront. And it all kind of came to a head in these last few years where I was just like dealing with addiction and depression and anxiety to the point where, um, even though I've been in therapy for the last nine, 10 years, this past December, I remember telling Bethany, my wife, um, if I don't figure out what's going on and, you know, get stabilized, like get medicated, whatever, um, I'm not making it to the end of January. And I meant that in every sense of the word. Um, and, and thankfully, so like where the hope comes in is, um, I've been on this journey for the last, I would say, eight, nine years of really trying to understand what it means to have these, these values that for so long were incompatible with what I was told being a Christian was. Um, and it took a lot of pain, a lot of misery for me to kind of come out to now this year, I can confidently say, I feel like I'm finally living out my life in a way that's in line with my values, my virtues, and what I believe all people are deserving of. And so my hope comes from that. My hope comes from feeling at peace, being in a, you know, in a community like this that so embraces all of the things that I have so long embraced but felt in conflict with the external piece of what I was told I shouldn't embrace. Um, which always pained me. And so, so I'm just grateful for that. And I'm grateful to, to be here and to have my family here and to have these connections and to be vulnerable. And, um, so yeah, that's what gives me hope. Thank you so much. Aaron. My name is Margie and, um, what gives me hope is Allie, my partner, um, who, has bravely taken on hospital chaplaincy and all of its trauma and scariness. Um, and then 
comes to my house and makes me happy every day, um, despite like a whirlwind of a year. So um, you give me hope. And it's Allie's birthday today, so another year. So one more year. Oh, I love it. Happy birthday, Allie. My name is Sean, and what gives me hope is love and friendship. Um, I spoke uh, many months ago that for 10 years I was told that I could never love and be in a relationship because of being um, attracted to men, um, and I bought into that lie. Um, and so coming to Artisan and being surrounded by LGBTQ plus individuals, as well as um, the community as a whole, as allies, reminding me that I can be loved. Um, and so last year, um, I met my partner, Corey, and um, we have started living together and building that relationship, um, you know, as well. So to know that um, I can have relationship, you know, in a significant other kind of way just brings me hope that I'm going to be okay in the long run. Thanks, Sean. And thanks to all of you here at Artisan who've made uh, folks feel welcome and remind them that they are not only capable of being loved, but that they are deeply loved here. Um, if there's another one who, to pass the mic to, go ahead. I'll read one out of Zoom while that's happening. Jolene says, I'm a first grade teacher. One day this week, student A was having a rough time, parentheses, tantrum. And student B said to me, is it OK if I take student A to have a private conversation? I'm really good with feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and when they came back, they were both smiling. It gives me hope to see empathetic six-year-olds. Wow. I love that story. Thank you. That gives me hope, too. All right, Corey. Corey's going to come to the front uh, for his. So I'm going to flip this camera back around. Mine's a little more prepared, as Scott was saying. Full agoraphobic, losing focus, cover blown. A book on getting better, hand-delivered by a drone. Total disassociation, fully out your mind. Googling derealization, hating what you find. That unapparent summer air and early fall. The quiet comprehending of the ending of it all. Do you ever engage with a piece of art and feel simultaneously seen and attacked at the same time? For those of you who don't know, that's the song, uh, That Funny Feeling, from the Netflix special Inside by Bo Burnham, which I highly recommend you watch if you haven't already. Aside from being massively funny, it's also an insightful look into what it's been like for many of us to exist in this pandemic over the last two and a half years. Our loneliness, our loss of connection, divisiveness, polarization, our tendency to focus on things that really don't matter when the world seems to be burning and we're busy screaming into the void. And he did all of this, like so many of us during this pandemic, acting, singing, editing, filming, directing, alone. Funny enough, I came to the special very recently, only about three months ago. And in retrospect, I think that was meant to be. I don't think I was ready to see something like this through an objective lens. Because an overriding theme about the special is the idea of dealing with mental health issues. Burnham won both an Emmy and a Peabody Award for the special, and he made it during the, one of the most profoundly deep periods of depression he'd ever experienced. Mental health and recovery is what I'd like to speak about to you today, from my own personal experiences, as we end this series on a world falling apart, but we're staying together. 
I don't think it's news to anyone that the U.S. and the world at large is suffering a mental health crisis the likes of which we've never seen. Therapists are overworked and overtaxed. Suicide is on the rise. Social media is exacerbating problems. And I think some people in this room would rather be on the guest list for the red wedding than search for a therapist that'll take your insurance. <laughs> and yet the concept of mental health is so broad, so sweeping, so vastly dense, that we're often quick to reduce it down to thoughts and prayers, tweet or a GoFundMe account to pay for someone's medication. But what does it mean when your world is falling apart, when your house is on fire, where all the facades and the lies you tell yourself come crashing down, when a conflagration turns your delicate grasp on normalcy to ash? In other words, what does it mean to you personally? How does one make beautiful things out of the dust, as the song says? These are the questions I asked myself when I prepared to speak to you today. Just for a little bit of background and context, this month, I celebrated my Silver Jubilee anniversary for clinical depression, bipolar 2 disorder, and anxiety disorder. I did it! <laughs> One of the best methods, by the way, just so you know, I've learned in combating mental health issues is just sometimes to make fun of it. I don't mean to make light of something that's serious, this serious, just something that works for me. It's how I keep it together when my world starts to fall apart. Suffice it to say, I've been dealing with these issues for more than half my life, therapy, medications, hospitalizations, I've done it all. I come to this topic honestly and in earnest. For me personally, my world falling apart didn't mean March 2020 when the pandemic began. It didn't mean October 2020 when I lost my job. It didn't mean January 2021 when I watched in horror as men and women stormed the Capitol building bent on mayhem and murder. No, for me, it began in February 2018, the worst year of my life. That February marked the start of a several-month spiral that almost destroyed me. During that time, I tried to take my life twice. I almost threw away my marriage, and I went to hospital multiple times, tried a variety of new medication cocktails, had a moment of full-on derealization. That one was fun. And ultimately had to go to an in-treatment center in Memphis, Tennessee, of all places, for six weeks to get better. And even then, the road to recovery was still long and arduous. There were broken relationships to men, boundaries to set, things to avoid, and things to embrace. And slowly, methodically, frustratingly, I began to put my life back together after my world had fallen apart. It wasn't until September 2019, a full 18 months after this began, that I felt back to my old self. Or should I say new self? Because you see, that's the thing about when your world falls apart, when your whole identity gets burned to cinders. You can't go back to your old self because the old self will just lead back to your whole world falling apart. So it says in Luke, there is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Trial by fire, that's an understatement. For me, putting my world back together meant finally admitting that I needed to be in therapy continually, not when a crisis hits. It meant I had to be fully open and honest with everyone around me about how I was doing, especially my wife, who is my rock, and objectively the best spouse I could wish for. It meant setting boundaries, speaking my mind, saying no when I meant no. It meant fundamentally, finally, and categorically to stop questioning the why of everything, the why of what happened to me. There's a lot of things that came to play. But things fundamentally got better. I started to really put my world back together when I fully understood the words of Isaiah 41.13. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Or to put it more crudely, forget the why and what's the how. The how is Jesus, empathy incarnate, who knows the depths of my despair because he felt those things on the cross. 
Despite all the tools I've learned to use and all experience I've gained, I'm left with a stark reality, the knowledge that I'm going to encounter mental health issues for the rest of my life. This is not something that's going to go away. So how do I reconcile that? How do I live with the knowledge that my world could fall apart again at any time? Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a film buff. I have a podcast I've done weekly with my friends since the pandemic began. That always would give me hope. I love the theatrical experience, and I'll wax poetic for hours about the best Indiana Jones sidekick. By the way, the answer is Sala. I will not be taking any questions at this time. <laughs> in any case, I'm passionate about movies because I believe in the transformative power of film. In late 2016, I saw Arrival, one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. It hit differently because I'd lost my wife that, or sorry, I lost my mom that year. I remember walking back to my car and sitting down and just sobbing for 10 minutes. The overarching theme of the movie explores the question, knowing that you'll get hurt, sometimes profoundly, is making connections worth it. So when it comes to the question of how do I reconcile the knowledge that my world could again fall apart, I've comforted by the words of the lead character, Dr. Louise Banks, who said, despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. Given you my own personal experience of a world falling apart, but what does it mean for us collectively as the church? How do we stay together when the world is falling apart? How do we go on and be the living Christ in the world around us? How do we protect against cynicism and apathy? I don't pretend to have an answer to that question, but again, I take comfort in another's words. The great 20th century Christian writer J.R.R. Tolkien saw the world fall apart in the trenches of World War I. His experiences would go on to directly influence his magnum opus, The Lord of the Rings. You may have heard of it. When you think about how we move forward in a world that's dark and falling apart, I would leave you with these words spoken by Sam DeFrodo on the way to Mordor. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were, and sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out all the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something, that there is some good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. Thanks, Corey. Um, we have time for a couple more. I'm going to read one out from, uh, from Zoom, and then if there's um, anybody in the room who would like to share again, uh, I'll ask you to use the microphone, but I'll bring it to you. Uh, last night, my best friend slept over, and we were both having a really hard time, but my little sister asked her to tuck her into bed. My friend tucked her in and asked her what was wrong, and she said that the tooth fairy hadn't come for four days. We put our feelings aside for a second and helped her write a letter to the Tooth Fairy and the time we spent with her... should just look around the room just for a second here. Okay, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> the time we spent with her made us both smile and seeing how happy our stories about the Tooth Fairy made her. I love my little sister and the joy I was able to 
bring her gave me the hope to get through the night. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? What's giving you hope? I'll toss it and then you can turn it on. He's a professional when it comes to sound equipment. So <laughs> It's actually about that. Um, so I write songs and um, it has become a incredibly apparent to me over the last five or six years that there are a thousand reasons why no one wants to hear a white man in his 40s writing songs. I've been told that more times than I want to admit. Um, And so when the pandemic started, like, like most of us, you know, we had a decent amount of free time and I wrote a lot. And it was nice for me, but it was large. I just kept struggling with this is just pointless. This is there is no point to this and nobody cares at all. Like this is truly just self, you know, it's just it must be just for me. Um, And during that time, I wrote some of the most personal things that I've written. Um, one song in particular about, um, a photograph from my first wedding album. Um, a photograph in which my father is standing next to me and my groomsmen are standing around and we're wearing ascots because what else do you do? And, um, and everybody looks like they're having a very good time, but I distinctly remember that photograph and my father does too in that photograph my father is telling me that he has a roll of canadian quarters in his dashboard and that he can get us to canada in three hours and as a 22 year old i didn't listen and seven months later i had a brand new house two cars and no spouse and an amazing amount of debt that i couldn't pay for um so I was put together a song about it. It means a lot to me. Didn't they largely think no one else really cares, and that's fine. Um, until we played it this past week, um, and the number of people that came up to me and said that that song was really was very powerful. Um, really, that meant a lot because. Um, I think the thing that I find myself fighting the most when thinking about when things come apart is the absolute futility of creating art in the 21st century Um, and the amazing frustration I have with um, not being able to do much of anything else except for creative things that are not valued at all. And so it was very nice to get a little bit of a little kick in the butt saying that, okay, this was, this was nice for five or six people. So there's that. Thank you. Love that. Got time for one or two more. What is giving us hope? Um, as a, person who works with kids and sees kids, the kids, they're given like, 
the kids are all right. Like, I think that, uh, you know, they always say, like, you know better, do better. And a lot of us were raised in a way that we wish was better. And now we're raising our kids in a way that we hope is better. And so it just gets incrementally better each time. And just like the stuff that I see young people talking about and caring about, um, especially kids like acceptance of, of kids who are different. Um, like I've had conversations with kids and they'll just be like, Oh, like what are their pronouns? Just like out of the, like with no prompting. And I just want, I just want to like kind of carry that as like a little candle of the kids are all right. They're going to be all right. Yeah. Thanks. Sarah. Last call. All right. Thank you so much. Um, those of you who shared, all of you who listened uh, in the room on Zoom, there might even have been some sharing on Facebook. I don't, I, I don't get to monitor Facebook as we go, but Facebook friends, I hope that there's something giving you hope today too. These experiences are um, so important because they, they tell us things that we would have never been able to know beforehand, and they're things that I couldn't tell you. Um, so hearing the voices of the people of Artisan Church is always one of my favorite things uh, to get a chance to do. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.